Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is number seven. So we're going to continue our study today, but a quick review. Last week we talked about the fact that we're living in the time of the Gentiles. This is the harvest season. We know this is the last of the last days. We called it what last week? Summertime. And fall is right around the corner. And that's going to be the first fall feast, which is the Feast of Trumpets, when the trumpet sounds and the rapture of the church takes place. We're removed from here. So we know that we're ending summer. How do we know that? Because Jesus told us to watch Israel. And when you see certain things happening in Israel, then you know that summer is, or, or that fall is near. Summer is about to end. So the harvest season is right now. Well, we know that in 1948 they became a nation. We know 1967 they took over Jerusalem. And we know right now the Aliyah has taken place. And that means God's people are going back where? To Israel right now as we speak. They're all going back. For what reason? So that when the time of the Gentiles ends, it's time to go back to the Jewish or resume Jewish time. And that's why it's all getting set up for that. He's orchestrating last day events right now. So, the rapture of the church is about to take place, and we know that. But listen carefully. If you go to the Temple Institute and you discover they've already got the blueprints for the new temple, they've already got all the uh, apparel that they're going to be wearing, they're training priests and so on and so forth to offer up sacrifices. Why? Well, it's been a few years, about 2,000 years, they haven't been doing any of this. So they've got to teach them over again what they need to be doing and offering sacrifices and all that. Now, is there a lot of enthusiasm in all the Jewish community? Absolutely. Is there enthusiasm among us believers? Absolutely. But let's weigh out the two. Other than the fact that this Dennis Mead said tomorrow will be the rapture of the church. You're always going to have these people that do this. I don't believe it's going to take place tomorrow, do you? But anyhow, for us it's exciting to see that there's a red heifer has been found, or the temple is going to be built, and all these things are taking place in Israel. We're excited about that. Why? Because we're out of here. And we're going to be with the Lord. But they're enthusiastic and excited about this. Why? For three and a half years of deception, and three and a half years of tribulation like the world's never seen before. So before they get too excited about the last seven years, there's nothing to be excited about. For us, yes, but not for the Jewish people. Three and a half years will be deceived by the Antichrist. And then three and a half years, the wrath of God will be poured out upon the earth like never before. Nothing to look forward to. Can you see that? That is what's on the timetable. Well, since we're living in the time of the harvest, what are we supposed to be doing right now? <clears throat> Harvesting souls for the kingdom of God. Preaching the gospel. And by the power of the Holy Spirit... Penetrating the hearts and minds of people to bring them into the family of God, whether Jew or Gentile. He wants all men saved and coming to the knowledge of the truth, right? Okay, so we pick up our study now. We continue in Acts and look at the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. This is Paul speaking, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. 
and the ministry which I received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This is what our message is. It's the gospel message of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Notice that statement. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer to feed the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. What were these leaders supposed to do? The overseers, the pastors in the church? What were they supposed to do? Preach the gospel. Proclaim the truths of redemption. The New Testament and all that. Why? Because Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. Have you ever bought something expensive? And you saw a two-year-old running around with it? <laughs> Never do that? And you're going... <laughs> You know what it costs. And maybe you probably said, you have no idea how much that costs. Ah, and you're holding your breath, thanking God that they don't drop it or whatever. Well, guess what? He purchased you with his own blood. There's not enough silver or gold or the cattle on a thousand hills to pay for your ransom, to pay for your redemption. What is he saying then? Watch how you teach these people. Watch what you teach these people because what you teach these people better be right on. Because it would be better for you for a millstone hung around your neck and you'd be cast into the sea let, lest you hurt one of these individuals with error and not truth. You talk about a responsibility a pastor has is to preach the word. Not social events. Not political events. Preach the word of God. Preach redemption. Preach the gospel. Preach good news. How many times have you heard me say recently, who taught Paul the gospel? Thank you, Aaron. Okay. I want you to read it with me now. Look at the book of Galatians chapter 1. This is from the God's Word translation. I want to show you how impacting this has to be for all of us. Okay. Remember, he's a Jew of the Jews, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Remember, a member of the Pharisees. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the good news I have spread is not a human message. I didn't receive it from any person. I wasn't taught it. Let me stop right there. What he's saying is, I didn't go to Fuller Theological Seminary in California. I didn't go to um, Christ for the Nations in Dallas, Texas. I didn't go to Rainbow Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I didn't go to Oral Roberts University in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Matter of fact, I didn't even see anybody. But Jesus Christ revealed it to me. Where did he get the message from? And his message is what happened from the cross to the throne. Well, guess what? No one knew what happened from the cross to the throne except Jesus. And Jesus revealed it to Paul. Let's read on. You heard about the way I once lived when I followed the Jewish religion. You heard how I violently persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. You also heard how I was far ahead of other Jews in my age group in following the Jewish religion. I'd become that fanatical for the traditions of my ancestors. But God, 
who appointed me before I was born, who called me by his kindness or grace, was pleased to show me his son. You know, our message is not a written message. It's a person. Show me his son. He did this so that I would tell people who are not Jewish that his son is the good news. The good news is a person. When this happened, I didn't talk it over with any other person. I didn't even go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went to Arabia and then came back to Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to become personally acquainted with Cephas or Peter. And Peter said, what Paul preaches is hard for me to understand who walked with Jesus all these years. I stayed with him for 15 days. I didn't see any other apostle. I only saw James, the Lord's brother. And there they preached the gospel. But let's, before we get to that, who taught him the gospel? Who gave him a revelation of what took place from the cross to the throne? Jesus. Who told him when he was preaching? Remember, as a Jew, he had no interest in Christianity. He had no interest in Jesus. All he wanted to do was kill everybody who called themselves a Christian. But he has now, all of a sudden, this revelation where he writes more than half of the New Testament. And this is the revelation that he gives. It came directly from Jesus himself. He revealed this to him. So let's kind of look at Paul in action. Look at Acts chapter 14. Here's Paul in action preaching the gospel that Jesus revealed to him, that Jesus taught him. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent at his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who never walked. Boy, just let that sink into your ears for a moment. Impotent in his feet, a cripple from his mother's womb, never walked in his life. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. Whoa. Paul did three things, and the man did three things. Paul preached the gospel. What did he preach? The gospel. He perceived the man had faith to be healed. He was looking for it. And you could say he prompted him by giving him a command. Stand up right on your feet. The man did three things. He listened to or he heard what Paul was preaching. He believed because he had faith to be healed. And then he acted. Did he not act? He acted on the command. And what happened to him? He was completely healed. Okay. Once again, if this man had faith to be healed, anybody in this church know where faith comes from? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Whoa. Who taught Paul what to say? Well, then apparently what Paul preached had to do with healing being in the atonement or healing being in redemption or healing being a major part of the gospel message. How would Paul know that unless Jesus told him? Well, Jesus told him. And what does he proclaim? That Jesus saves, that Jesus heals. And he can watch this man who had never walked being there 
And as he's talking about enough of what Jesus did for him, for this man to get so enthusiastic and so excited and begin to believe something, he must have hit pretty heavy on the fact that, hey, Jesus bore your sickness. Jesus carried your pain. He didn't just die for your sins on that cross. He died for you to be a whole person, spirit, soul, and body. And the eyes of the guy probably got so big. And finally, he's just the enthusiasm. He goes, stand up right on my feet. And boom. Wow. Powerful message, wouldn't you say? Well, how do we really know that Jesus taught him this message that healing is in the atonement as well? Well, since you asked, look at Galatians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. Remember, Paul just said in chapter 1, I didn't receive this by any man. Now, being a Jew, he would know the curse of the law, but because he didn't love Jesus, he wouldn't have known that Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. But let's read it first. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then if you were to read verse 29, in verse 29 he says, If you be Christ, you're Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. So notice the statement that he makes here. Christ, he is telling people, redeemed us from the what? The curse of the law. Have you been redeemed this morning? Yes. Absolutely you've been redeemed. But you know what? If you ask the average Christian today what they've been redeemed from, they'll say the power of sin. I've been redeemed from sin and spiritual death and eternal separation from God. Well, that's not the only thing you've been redeemed from. And apparently, those that say, well, healing is just a side issue, it wasn't to Jesus because he didn't minimize it, he maximized it. So much so that Paul said he had to preach it. Right? Didn't Paul preach it boldly at Lystra? And guess what? You talk about a response. We, there's no time to get into all of it, but if you go back to that Acts 14, you go down to, I think around verse 19, he was stoned for it. He was stoned at the province of Galatia and left for dead. Think about that. Because the Judaizers hated him for continuing the miracles of Jesus. But really, it was a response to the gospel because you see, the gospel is the what? Power of God to save a man's spirit, soul, and body. That's what he preached. So, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. Well, okay, what's the curse of the law? Now, Paul would know this, but he wouldn't know that Jesus redeemed us from it. So let's go back to Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, and then 58 through 61. This is the curse of the law. It shall come to pass that thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord your God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these, what? Curses, Curses shall come on thee and overtake thee. Now, verse 1 said, if you obey it, then they'll come and bless you. They'll come on you, overtake you, and bless you. But if you don't obey it, this is the law, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Okay, so if you were to read all the way through the rest of the chapter, you'll see every sickness and disease back then known to mankind mentioned. But anyhow, go on to verse 58 and look at what it says. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear the glorious and fearful name of the Lord thy God. Then the Lord will make or allow your plagues to be wonderful. And the plagues of your seed or your children, even great plagues. And of long continuance and, continuance and sore sicknesses. Notice, 
and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou was afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee, and also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, then will the Lord bring upon thee until you be destroyed. That's pretty clear, isn't it? So what's a curse for disobeying the law? Sicknesses and diseases that man will never be cured of. Now I realize over the years we've found cures for certain ones, but I guarantee you there's always going to be more and more and more coming around the corner. Why? Because they're, spirit, they're spiritual in nature. They come from the kingdom of darkness. And man's doing his best to remedy all those situations that we read here, but notice he says some of those things you won't be able to get healed of. Well, what's the good news? The good news is this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of every sickness and every disease, known unknown, name unnamed, written unwritten, Christ redeemed us from. Every single one of them. What does redeem mean? To regain the possession of something by an exchange of payment. To regain the, uh, the possession of something, to regain it or gain it. Something that we had that we lost that we regained because someone paid the payment, paid the price for it. That's called redemption. Well, guess what? We lost everything that we had with God. Spiritually separated, emotionally destroyed, physically death doomed when we fell. And there was no way for man to claw his way back into God. But in the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman. He robed himself in flesh. He came to die as the sacrificial lamb. He went to a cross. He spilled his blood. He rose from the dead. He took his blood to the high court of heaven and he paid the price for our Redemption. He exchanged his blood for your life and for my life. Hallelujah. Now spiritually we can be reunited with the Father. Emotionally, mentally we can be over we can be overcomers once again, and physically we can receive healing in our bodies. So Jesus paid the price. He exchanged his life and his life's blood as payment for us to be free. Do you know what the year of Jubilee is all about? When he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, set me to heal the brokenhearted, preach the to the captives, recovering sight to the blind, set liberty to Bruce, and preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Guess what? That year came. The year of Jubilee is not a time period. It is a person. He is our Jubilee. That means he has paid the ransom and we all got back our possessions. Everything we lost, we can get back because of Jesus' payment. He redeemed us. How? Not with silver, not with gold, but with his precious blood. And as a result, praise God, we have favor with God. Now, I want to show you that this is exactly what Isaiah was talking about. Look at Isaiah 53. And we're going to read this from the Christian Standard Bible translation because I believe it's accurate in the way it expresses it. So, Jesus taught this to Paul, and this will confirm it as you see this. Look what he says. Who has believed our report? Or who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord, his power, been revealed? He grew up before him as a, like a young plant and a root out of a dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken down, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him. And we are healed by his wounds. Oh, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Did you, did you read that? He was, we recognize him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement for me to have peace in my mind was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. So on the cross, Jesus died for both. I would say all three. Spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Now to show you that Paul understood that this as well. And this was taught to him by Jesus himself. Look at Romans chapter, 14, chapter 10 verse 14. Now we know the verses from 8 to 13. But what say that the words near you, it's in your heart, in your mouth, the word of faith that we preach, if you confess with your mouth, and so on. We know that, right? Verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved, healed, delivered, set free, and preserved, right? Okay, but look at verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? Who do you think quoted that to Paul? Anybody have an idea who quoted Isaiah to Paul? Now Paul, he said, I'm going to sit you down. And while we have this three-year discourse that we talk, this dialogue, I'm going to tell you everything that I did on the cross. I'm going to tell you what happened to me when I died and I suffered, which is why he talked about him coming up out of the abyss. And I want you to know also that I bore the sin of the world and also on that cross, I suffered sickness and disease for the world to redeem man completely in spirit and soul and in body. So he goes on to say, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, guess what? You think the devil doesn't know that faith comes by hearing? You think he doesn't know that doubt comes by hearing? And so what does he do? He has people raised up to say, oh, healing's not in the atonement. No, it's not in the atonement. No, it just means spiritual healing. Really? Why do you think he wants people from the pulpit to preach stuff like that so you and I don't have faith to receive healing from God? See, he, faith for healing comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And when Paul preached the gospel, he emphasized to the man who never walked from his mother's womb, healing belonged to him. And what happened? The man was completely healed and made whole. And the sad part about it is this. Over the church age, faith in the healing power of God was so diminished and I put the fault right here, because behind the pulpit, that's what people were preaching. If it be as well, it may not be as well, it's not in the atonement, that's just for, for spiritual healing. Oh, well, 
Look at uh, Peter's confirmation. How many know Peter was a Jew? Sometimes people forget these things or don't know these things. Peter was a Jewish person. Okay? He knows Hebrew. He knows Greek. Listen. Who his own self, Peter said, bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being that the sins should live under righteousness. And then notice uh, you got a colon there. By whose stripes you were healed. The word there in the Greek, I have it spelled out there for you. I don't even dare try to pronounce it. But it means physically healed. It's used 25 times in Strong's Concordance with different, tra- like healed, heal, healing, or cure. Every reference is only to a physical healing. Look in the book of Luke. And I'll show you what I'm talking about. In the book of Luke, look at chapter 6 and verse 17. And he came down with them and stood in the plain, and the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be what? Healed of their diseases. That's that Greek word. Healed of their diseases. Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 5, verse 29. And straightway, this is the woman with the issue of blood, straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was what? Healed of that plague. So this is a woman issue of blood. Okay, so these two references of the 25 all refer to what? She didn't get healed spiritually, she got healed physically. So every reference is to physical healing with this one word. Now today, some want to say, well, that's just spiritual. No, no. Well, why is it saying about sins too? Well, have you ever read Psalm 103 that says he forgives all our sins, heals all our... Why the separation? To make it very clear. It's spiritual, it's physical. It includes the whole man, spirit, soul, and body. So Peter confirms that fact. Look at Matthew's gospel. Matthew also was a Jewish individual, and he by the Holy Spirit, was inspired to comment on Isaiah's words and prophecy. And so being a Greek understanding individual, look at what what he says. When the even was come, they brought to him many that were possessed with devils. He cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed a small percentage of them. He healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, saying what? Himself. See, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Say with me, it's all about Jesus. So himself, Jesus, took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So who took them and who bore them? Jesus. Jesus did. So in the mind of God, that has already been done on the cross. Our problem is understanding that and learning how to step into the reality of it. That's the problem. And if we haven't heard this being preached like we should have behind pulpits 
then we're full of doubt and unbelief and need to be deprogrammed and reprogrammed so our faith level can rise. Now Paul says, look, I'm free from the blood of all men because I preach the whole counsel of God. Do you know what he meant by that? I'm telling people the whole truth. Even though you may think you're religious and you're going to heaven, I'm going to tell them, you better be born again or you're not. Because you see, Ezekiel said it this way. If the, right, if the unrighteous man sins and you don't tell him about his sin, then I'm going to hold you accountable. His blood will be upon you. But if, he, if you tell him and he still goes on and doesn't accept it, his blood's not on you. You see a righteous man who's living in sin and you tell him about his sin, his blood's not on you. But if you don't tell him about his sin, I'm holding you accountable for his blood. His blood will be upon you. Paul says, I'm free from the blood of all men. I'm telling them all the whole truth. Everything. Every part of it. He died for your sin. He died for your sickness. He died for your mental anguish. He died for you to be provided for, for protected, for your financial uh, needs to be met. He died for it all. You see, the fact is this. We live in the now, the New Testament. Not the old, not the book of Revelation. And too many people want to live in the past or the future. But what about the now? And we're ignoring the great work that Jesus did in redemption for us. We need to recognize it, embrace it, and Walk in the light of it. Okay, look at the what I have next. Um, which is harder? Jesus said, which is easier. But I made it, which is harder? Look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, and verse 17. My f- first opportunity to preach the Gospel. <laughs> you know, my first opportunity in college to share publicly, orally, communications in, in class with people. Remember the story? I'm shaking like this here and my paper shaking so hard and I'm like, and then I dropped the class and quit college. I've, and I said, I will never do that again. Never speak in front of people ever again. Those are my very, very words. In that communications class, they said, well, now we've studied the word for a little bit. Now in this class, you have to come up with a three minute sermon. Everyone's going to do it in the class. Who'd like to go first? My hand went up like a shot. And my text was Luke 5, 17. This text right here. And I stood up for three minutes. I don't know what I said. But I said it with enthusiasm and gusto. Okay? You don't doubt that, do you? It came to pass on a certain day when he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Okay. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy and they sought means, by, means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop. And let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said to them, What reason in your hearts? Whether is easier to say? Your sins be forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, rise, take up your bed, and go into your house. 
And immediately he, he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed into his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Now I want you to hear something that's really ironic. The irony of this. Back in that day, they said, man forgiving sins? Are you kidding me? No way. They had a hard time dealing with the fact that a man could say your sins are forgiven you. But healing? No big deal. They saw him heal all kinds of people. They never denied any of that, but they denied the fact that you can forgive sins. Today, it flip-flops. Yeah, we can get our sins forgiven, but they have a hard time believing that Jesus is healing people today as he did then. That healing is even in redemption. Isn't that crazy? Oh yeah, you can get your sins forgiven. In the mind of God, which is greater, which is worse? To be separated from, with sin or physically? You know what? You can make heaven if your spirit's right with God. Even if your body's sick. But you won't make heaven if your body's well and your spirit is sick. Can you see that? Okay, so now, what's this all about in this message? Who's it all about? Jesus. So would you mind taking a walk with me, a stroll down gospel lane? Can we take a little stroll down gospel lane? You know, since we have all this technology, we can do it real quick. So let's start in the gospel of Matthew and let's get our eyes on Jesus. 4,000 years of human history, few people got miraculously healed. Jesus of Nazareth appears on the scene and in one week he heals more people than 4,000 years of human history. One week. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him and behold, there came a leper and worshipped him saying, Lord, if thou canst, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Going down to chapter, uh, same chapter, verse 5, 5 through 7. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant, I'm homesick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said to him, uh, let me discuss this with my heavenly father first for a while, just determine whether or not we really want to do this, because you see, I don't really know. And plus, I'm kind of tired today. I need to give lemonade. And if it eliminates. No, Jesus said to him, I will. Everybody say, I will. I will. I will. The only time I was asked, will you? Is this your will? He said, I will. And now he says, I will come and heal him. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed, how many? All that were sick. Go to chapter 12. Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself into, from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Are we painting a picture here? How many did he heal? He healed them all. Look at chapter 14. Because I love this verse because it's the motivation behind it. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. Chapter 15, 29. 
And Jesus departed from thence and came down to the Sea of Galilee and went up to a mountain and sat there. A little break. But great multitudes came to him having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. Wouldn't you like to have that defined the many others? And cast them down at Jesus' feet and he healed them insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, the blind to see, and they glorified the God of Israel. Would you say that healing was a minor thing? I wouldn't. Look at looks that was uh, Mark or Matthew. Look at Mark chapter three. For he had healed many insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues. Look at chapter 6 and verse 56. And whithersoever he entered, wherever he went, whether it was city, villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment, and as many as touched him were made whole. How many? As many. Whoever touched him. You'll never find there was any one person where Jesus said anything of this nature. I better discuss it with my father or it may not be his will or uh, you may serve me better being that way. You never hear any of this. And right away you get these that are against healing and they'll say, well, what about Job's boils? What about Timothy's stomach? What about Paul's eyes and, or his thorn? And you just shake your head and you go, what about Jesus? I can explain every one of those, by the way, properly. Because you see, this is about Jesus, not Paul, not Job, not Timothy, none of that. This is about Jesus. And he was moved with compassion. You know what compassion is? It's having sympathy toward the suffering of another, coupled with a yearning, burning desire to alleviate the suffering. That moved Jesus. And did he have the goods? He sure did. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Wow. Can you imagine if we told people, anyone that's sick, just find anyone that's sick like they did and they brought them all to Jesus. Can you imagine the massive amounts of people that were there that came to Jesus and what did he do? He laid his hand on every one of them. Healed them all. What do we conclude? I wanted to put this in here right now because this is about Jesus. And Jesus is being misrepresented by many today when it comes to the healing power of God. And the church has really been cheated today because their faith level, all of us, I didn't grow up knowing these truths. All of us need to be deprogrammed and reprogrammed and start realizing that on that cross, he was the serpent on the pole. On that cross, he became sin, mental anguish, disease, and was crushed with all this for us, he became the actual curse that Adam brought into this world by his rebellion and fall. It all fell on him to liberate us in this time of Jubilee 
that we could have all of our possessions given back to us and we can be whole once again in spirit, in soul, and body. And that's why the Bible says your body is not going to be redeemed. In other words, you can't experience the fullness of that redemption until it's glorified. But it's been paid for already. Judicially, legally, it's been paid for. And one day, the body you're sitting in right now, praise God, will be glorified. The grave is going to open. The body's going to come out should Jesus tarry is coming and we die. And it will be glorified. Why? Because the serpent on the pole became the curse for you and me. Now let's conclude this by reading this wonderful text from Acts chapter 10, verse 38. It's all about Jesus. Your healing is all about Jesus. Your salvation is all about Jesus. Your mental anguish is all about Jesus. Your physical body is all about Jesus and its health. Everything is all about Jesus. We should be preaching Jesus more than anyone else, more than anything else today. Not Job, not Timothy, not Epaphroditus, or the others. Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing how many? All that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Listen carefully. Jesus said, look guys, Philip, you want to see the Father? Have I been so long time with you, Philip? And yet, don't you know me? If you've seen me, if your eyes have been looking at me, you have seen the Father. Because the works I do, I don't do them. My Father in me, He does the work. Any person you saw that I forgave, any person you saw that was healed, any body part that was repaired, any main person that was made whole, even the dead that came out, praise God, of the grave, just like uh, Lazarus. He said, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It's my Father's heart. It's my Father's will. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Our Father's the same today, just as He was back then. But we haven't heard it preached enough so that we can rise up to a higher level of faith. But God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the Holy Ghost, all the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, with power, who went about doing good, healing everyone that the devil got his hands on, oppressed of the devil. So in the mind of God, healing is from God and it's good, but sickness, oppression, is oppressed, satanic oppression coming from the devil in his kingdom. That's why God has raised up even doctors to help us recover physically so that we know how to care for our bodies in every possible imaginable way. Think about it. God wants us well so that we can serve Him. So let's close it with Luke chapter 14. I just love to watch Jesus in action, don't you? I just love the way He put these people in their place. Look at Luke 14. It came to pass as He went into the house... One of the chief, uh, chief Pharisees, notice the chief Pharisee, uh, to eat bread on the Sabbath day, that they watched him. What day was it? Sabbath day. And behold, there was a certain man there before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, This reminds me of the father talking to Job. Remember that conversation? Job won the box with God, and God says, you ready? Get your gloves on? Let's go at it right now. Round one. Round one didn't even start. Two seconds into it, Job was out the back door. God said, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. You want to know why the earth stands up? Tell me why the earth is up there without any cords holding up in orbit. 
And Job said, uh, okay, I give up. No, God wasn't done with him. He, named, he asked him everything about all of creation. And Job was dumbfounded, wasn't he? So Jesus has a little bit of sport with these guys and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? You think Jesus didn't know the law? And they held their peace. Silas is golden sometimes. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And answered them saying, Which of you have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Hmm. He left them dumbfounded. What do we learn from this text? Here's what we learn from this text. Jesus is saying sickness is like having one of your animals fall into a pit. That animal needs rescue. Healing is a rescue. Sickness is like falling into a pit. Let me ask anybody in this congregation, if we right now said, we have a two-year-old that just fell in this little hole in the back of, of, of the church here, he's down about 10 feet down, we need help to get him out of the pit. How many of you would stand, sit there, stand or whatever you want to do and say, well, let's first of all see if it's the will of God. Because you see, it may not be the will of God. Now, what are you, who are you that says it might, would we be even having this discussion would everybody book it out that door as fast as you possibly can and get over to that pit and pull that child out in a heartbeat? Can you say amen? So Jesus says, you think you keep the law on the Sabbath day because you, you don't work? I'm telling you right now, you water your, your flock, your, your cattle, whatever. In another place, he said it's a necessity. Do you feed them? Yes, it's a necessity. Do you rescue them on the Sabbath? Yes, it's a necessity. So it's a rescue. It's a necessity, right? So he says, look, for people to be whole is a necessity, whether it's the Sabbath day or any day of the week. It does not matter. My father wants people well, healed, whole, delivered, set free, serving him. Praise God. Spirit, soul, and body. It is something that he wants and desires. And I'm not saying it. He said it. So let's all stand before the Lord before I preach another sermon and I'm just it's in my bones right now he wants us well he wants us whole it's all about Jesus stop looking to anybody else hallelujah it's all about Jesus